You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I want you to turn the book of Mark again, chapter 13. If you have one, if there's one in front of you in a seat, a black or a red Bible, uh, New Testament, Mark 13, find the table contents if need be. We're going to be reading and uh, looking at a passage we looked at last week in part, and then this week, once again, we'll be looking at kind of a second part. It was just too much to put into one one week, so this is part three, but it's part B of part A, and it gets confusing. So as you're going to Mark 13, I'll read in 24 again as you're going there. I do have the picture from last week. I don't think Keegan is with us this week, but you can pass it on. Those that know Keegan say we saw your picture made it last week. Now I know in Keegan's picture, this is God over here. This was what he said that was God. I even wrote it down so I remember. This I, I'm not sure about. You'll have to ask him and uh, he can give you the rundown of what, what he's got going there. We were talking about the skies, uh, the sun darkening and the moon darkening and the skies falling, the powers in the heavens shaken. I'm thinking he picked up on that and, and got it there. So uh, that's from Keegan. I thank you kids for turning those into me and put your name, make sure I get your name on there so I know whose it is, but I'm glad you're turning those in. So hopefully by now you've found Mark 13. I'll start again in verse 24, and then we'll look through verse 31. Jesus is saying this here. But in those days after that tribulation... The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Pray with me again as we look into the Word. Father, right now, just continue to um, amaze us with who You are today. May we not leave here the same, not because of any words of Mike Croker, Lord, because Your Spirit is stirring in us words from Your Scripture, from Your Word pointing us again to Jesus Christ, the coming one in great power and glory, whom we have certainty, a sure word, a word that will not pass away. Lord, I'm praying you guide my words to honor you, to glorify you, that our hearts would be open. Lord, what do you want us to learn? How do we need to live differently in light of what we're reading? What do we need to believe here and change in our patterns? And I pray you would work through this time together. In your name, amen. Well, 
As I said last week, for some that weren't here, we looked at verses 24 through 27, really taking some time to contrast this darkness after the tribulation of the the darkened skies and the falling stars and shaken heavens. And yet that darkness would not overcome. The light was coming. Jesus was coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And we also spoke of this global gospel that the nations being called out from the ends of the earth. God's called out ones who would believe on Christ would be gathered. And so again, it's our own call to go to the nations. And perhaps if God's not called us to go physically, to send others to the nations, that we might proclaim the gospel to all and that they might become worshipers of Jesus Christ before He would arrive and they would be sad at His arrival or mourn His arrival. I think here we see the glorious coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, at kind of the apex of this section, the, the climax of his proclamation. If you think of climbing up a mountain, you hike up the mountain, in some ways, verses 1 through 23 have been a bit of that. Even 24 and 25, this hike of, of what's coming, and there's tribulation, and there's, uh, there's endurance There's expecting tribulation. There's looking at trials, all these sorts of things, but they grow. And then verse uh, 26, kind of this crescendo. He's coming. Jesus is coming with great power and glory. As we travel in now to verses 28 through 31, I think we're a bit on the other side of the mountain, just looking back a little bit. So you think we've climbed up, we're looking, he's coming. Now we see him and we're just... We're coming back down. Now we're looking back a little bit at his coming again and talking about nearness and generations and um, all things taking place, heaven and earth, passing away, all these things. And we're looking at these as we go through. And verse 31 really closes of why we can be certain of what Jesus said, that he will come because he says um, his words will not pass away. If there's any uncertainty in here of timing which there is and take heart those of you that have the very next text that we'll look at next week says the day and the hour are not known you can take heart in that we don't have to try to figure out all the wins and whys we're looking for signs looking for nearness and we see that but we take heart that we know who is coming what a great promise we have in who not necessarily knowing when it's all going to be march whatever may 2000 3,000, all these things, but we know who. So verse 28, as we then kind of dive to our text, Jesus gives an illustration, a parable to help his disciples really discern when is all this going to take place. And he says this in verse 28, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Uh, the last time we saw a fig tree was when it was withered. I don't know if you remember that back, uh, back earlier as Jesus was uh, entrance, his entrance into Jerusalem. He passed by that fig tree and uh, he's heading down to the temple, didn't see fruit on it, cursed the fig tree. Next day they come back and it's withered. We saw that. Here, though, I think Jesus, he's just using the fig tree as we would. I mean, we're used to this type of language. I don't call the trees here, whatever you see, but when you see the buns, buds, you know summer's coming. In Minnesota, um, it may not be coming right then. You may get another foot of snow, but then summer's coming. So it's eventually, you see those buds, you know summer's coming. 
or when the leaves now they're green and they start changing colors again, those beautiful colors, we know, okay, we know summer's ending and fall and then winter's coming. You know these things, and that's what he's saying. It's really an illustration. These things are coming. There's some natural signposts going on. So in a similar way, as you see the fig tree becoming tender, you know, so Jesus is saying here, uh, you can also tell that I'm near. Look at verse 29. So also, he says, when you see these things taking place, you know that he, son of man, Jesus, he is near. He's at the very gates. I want you to look back at verse 4 of this passage. If you're in Mark 13, look at verse 4. Jesus is really answering these disciples' questions of kind of this when and what. They were looking at that temple and saying how beautiful it was. He says, you know, not one stone here is going to be left unturned. It's all going to be destroyed. And, and verse 4 tells us their question. Tell us, Jesus, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? They're asking. Jesus is in a sense, he's saying, when you see these things, you know he's near. He's in a sense answering the question. Matthew has a parallel account, and we're not going there, but chapter 24, verse 3, Matthew says this. If you're looking at verse 4, he adds a little bit, just helping us. I think we looked at this last week. In Matthew 24, 3, the disciples say, tell us, when will these things be? It's much like our verse 4. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? So when will these things be? And then what's the sign of your coming in the close of the age? Matthew helps us interpret a little bit more Mark 13.4 here of what's going on. And it sheds some light here. gives us a hint. Familiar language. Kind of this already, not yet. Thinking, when will these things be? Okay, we're seeing things. And yet, what's the close of the age? What's at the end of it all? When are you going to come? I think there is within this prophecy, what Jesus is talking about, there is the reality of the coming destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., not too many years after this time, somewhat 40 years later, uh, depending on how you calculate it, Jerusalem would be destroyed. There would be tribulation. There would be these things. And yet, there is an end time, I believe, tribulation, verse 19, I think, is most helpful there. And a second, of course, uh, verse 26, this coming again of the Son of Man. Great power, great glory. Everybody's going to see Him coming. Kind of like we said, a telescope, maybe a better idea, those that have cameras that can focus. Uh, if you think of a near and far, in one, ways, in one way, we're, we're looking at the focus lens and we see, wow, I think Jerusalem and its destruction, even back then in 70 AD, gives us a picture but then as we, as we look again, that, that fades a bit and it looks out and, and we look towards the future, towards clear things there. So there's this kind of this nearness and farness. And it's already not yet to these things taking place. And that's what can get confusing in here and hard to understand. Not to worry because it gets harder uh, as we go into verse 30. So look at verse 30 with me. We're, we're scratching. We're in. How? What? What do we mean? Look at verse 30. Truly, then Jesus continues, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And now we've got a question before us as we're studying the Bible. 
trying to be students of the word. We ask, does this generation, when Jesus says this generation, does he mean those alive at the time of Jesus? That alive generation. Much like we'd say that generation of uh, World War II, the greatest generation. We're thinking of a time period. And if that's the case, then have all these things, all these things, have they all taken place? He's already returned? Has this already happened? All these things? Okay, there's a couple of opinions and options and things to think about in these. You can study them to your heart's content, though books are plentiful. I'll just cover a few of them and then give you, say, okay, here's where I'm leaning towards. Here's where um, I would find helpful. And uh, hopefully we see it through Scripture. Here's a couple different views on what this generation means. That's what we're asking. Um, There is, like I said, literally, Jesus means this generation. He means this generation, the ones alive at the time uh, of these earthly events of Jesus, a generation that would see the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So this particular people of this particular time. Others look at it as the race of Israel, the generation of the Jewish people. Maybe it's not so much time, but it's just the Jewish people will continue to the end. Okay, this generation will not pass. Generation of Jews will not pass away. It's another way to look at it. Some do. Uh, another way is a generation that sees these things. So maybe it's not the literal generation of Jesus' time, but it's those that, when they see them, then it's that generation. So, depending on when that happens, it's those that see. Uh, that generation could be in the future, a future generation that sees this great tribulation. Maybe that's the generation. Um, and then lastly, um, and there's I think there's more, but uh, just in summary, one a generation as a as a type and not literal. So thinking of the word this generation as a type of generation and not a literal generation, perhaps a generation of believers of any time in history. So this generation of believers will not pass. Or this generation of evil or wickedness of any time in history. This won't pass. Why get into this? I, I think because we're trying to answer questions as we go through. And again, we're comforted by the next section. We don't know when. We're trying to sort it out. I am encouraged as we look in Scripture. Um, maybe we don't have it all all pinned down, but Scripture is so helpful. And so part of this process is when you are reading, hopefully on your own, this is not the only time you're opening your Word, you're opening it daily. As you're reading and you get to some of these hard things, you can't always answer. We, we know Peter says, Paul writes some things that are hard to understand, but we take Scripture and use it. It's some of the best commentary we have when we read other Scripture. And so we're going to attempt that a little bit Uh, to discern what the meaning of is in this context. So I want you to turn. It's not very far. We're going to stay in Mark. Look at chapter 8, verse 12. I'd like you just to turn back. If you're in 13, you're going to make it to Mark 8, verse 12. Again, if Scripture can help us understand generation, then I think we're we're going to find that most helpful. Um, If you do a word search for generation in the book of Mark, you come up really with five times the word generation shows up in this particular gospel shows up in other gospels as well um, really four places so five times but one place i think it's right where we're going here it's used twice so there's really four places there's where we're at in our text today in verse 30 13 30 
And now we're just going back and we're looking at, this is really the first occurrence. We'll look at a couple of these as we go through to try to understand what does Jesus mean by generation. So if you're in 8, 12 through 13, we're in the midst of the Pharisees coming to argue with Jesus, seeking a sign from him. I don't think to believe in Jesus. They just, I think they want to test him, maybe prove him wrong. And here's what Mark 8, um, let me start at verse 11 actually. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation, yay, we've got our word, right? There it is, okay? Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. We see again this unbelief of the Pharisees who continue to seek a sign from Jesus. And he says no sign is going to be given to this generation. This is not a positive outlook on this generation. Uh, What would you call this generation? A generation of unbelief, testing God? I think at its core, unbelief. Okay, so just kind of lock that away. Or at least in this instance, this generation is not a positive thing. Keep going then to 8. Verse 38, just a little further down in the chapter. Verse 38, here Jesus, he's speaking about the cost of discipleship. What's it going to cost? You're going to lose one's life for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of Christ. And we see this in Mark 8, 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And I think even in here you've got an already not yet. The disciples, some of them are going to see him in the transfiguration when he reveals his glory to them. Just right as you read on in chapter 9. But there's also, again, the Son of Man coming in the glory of His Father with His angels. Stuff we've been looking at already in Mark 13. But how is generation described? If you look in there, what's the description of this generation? They're adulterous. They're sinful. Perhaps it's helpful as we look through here. So, so far, all these uses of generation have not been positive. And it continues. Will this trait continue? Look at now chapter 9, verse 19. One more before we get back to where we're at. Mark 9, verse 19. Here the disciples are being asked to heal a boy afflicted with a demon since childhood, but they could not. And Jesus responds in verse 19 to their lack of faith. And I don't think here it's the disciples' lack of faith. I think it's the crowd And he addresses and he says in verse 19, Oh, he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And subsequently, Jesus does heal the boy, teaching his disciples about prayer as they go. But we see again this generation. What describes this generation? It's a faithless one, really an unbelieving generation. Is there any conclusion here from these? At least this, we can say. We don't see a positive use of this word in this book. As Mark 
uses this word here. We see the negative, the unbelieving, the adulterous, the sinful, that sort of thing. Even if you took the Gospels as a whole, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and uh, John, look at all of them, uh, 33 times this word is used, generation, and I try to sort out how many times is it used in a, in a positive light and how, times, how many times negative. Um, I came up with seven times generation. It's, a, it's used fine. It's you know, generations of, of Jesus going back to his genealogy, things like that. Four times I couldn't decide. But out of 33 times, 22 times this word is used negatively. It's, a, it's a, not a great description. So by math alone, which we're not go by math alone, but it's not a positive word for generation. So back to chapter 13, verse 30. My leaning, my take on this here, I think you're seeing it as we've looked at these things, is that this generation refers to the evil, wicked, unbelieving, faithless generation, I think, that will continue on throughout history until all, all these things take place up to Jesus coming again. Um, I acknowledge here, and this is hard, there's an already, it's already taking place, there's destruction of Jerusalem, those sorts of things, and there's a yet a not yet um, going on in this. Um, I think especially this, this global tribulation, this global even, even gathering has not occurred yet. We've not seen the visible return of Christ yet. Um, so for me, scriptural context, just using this context, is most helpful to say, I, I believe this generation is a generation of adulterous wickedness that will continue until the end uh, or not pass away until all these things take place. But it's good to step back and just remember what Jesus is doing here just to get a big picture because Jesus is graciously preparing his disciples for coming tribulations they're going to face. Uh, In one sense, these predictions, I think, of the Lord, they're actually timeless for every generation who continues, don't we see it in our day, continues to show unbelief and faithlessness to God. You can look that up on your own, study it, work that out. Hopefully, some of the context has helped. Let's not leave there, though. Thankfully, this does not end at verse 30. Um, whatever ambiguity, whatever there is of trying to figure these things out, verse 30 fades as we're assured of two things which close out this section. One regarding the heavens and earth, the other regarding the words of Jesus. Look at verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I think we looked at this from the Old Testament last week. I read it at the beginning of our service Today from Psalm 102.25, I'm going to just turn there again if you want to look at this. You can read the whole chapter, but Psalm 102.25 says this. As we think about first this, out of these two certainties here in the last verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away. This is going to happen. And number two, my words will not pass away. Psalm 102, again, just to read it for us. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. Remember what we read? You will remain. Don't you just even hear in that? It's verse 26. Heaven and earth will pass away, but you will remain. 
Uh, they will perish, you will remain. I, I, you see Old Testament all dripping in this section of Jesus here. They will perish, you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. They will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. 10,000 and then forevermore. That's the idea. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Though heaven and earth pass away, the Lord God will remain. And you can read on, for time's sake, we're not going to Revelation 21, and you can read how this happens. You can read the end of the story. It's okay to turn to the end of the book and look and have hope that there will be a new heavens and a new earth for those in Christ Jesus. One more as we look at back to Mark thirteen thirty one. Heaven and earth will pass away. New heavens, new earth. Camp out just a bit on my words will not pass away. Though this earth, though the heavens perish, God's word remains. Isn't that comforting? No matter what the news shows today, we could have 24-hour coverage. None of us know what's going to happen today, do we? could be destruction everywhere. We say, no, God's words will last. They will not pass away. So we take a step back. We survey the landscape here. Jesus' disciples, they're warned false messiahs, false prophets are going to come. Extreme tribulation, darkened skies. Jesus will come, that apex. Heaven and earth will pass away. All these things are going to take place. And yet be assured, Jesus' words will not pass away. The Old Testament and the New Testament are words of promise. When you look back, even in this section, just the multitude of quotes from the Old Testament regarding this section, you see why it's true the words of Jesus will not pass away. They remain. They're eternal. They're words of covenant, of promise, things purposed by God that will take place. I want you to go to one last section, and we looked at this last week. Again, Scripture is its best interpreter. So Second Peter 3, we read a little bit, and we're going to close here reading through it and then a couple of applications. But Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1, and I will read 1 through 13 just to hear it because now as you've been in this section and we've been thinking about these words that won't pass away, a heaven and earth that will we're prepared, we're primed to come to this section and read what it has to say because there were scoffers here that Peter is addressing and he's going to address them. So if you get to Second Peter 3, I'll start in verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, see if this rings true, they will say, or to your own heart maybe, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You hear him scoffing? Where is it? He told us he was coming. We haven't seen it yet. When's it going to happen? 
Things are just going on like they always have been. It's not going to happen. Verse 5, Peter says, "Mm -mm, for they deliberately overlook this fact. And what are they going to overlook? It ties right to our passage today. Overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water. How? By the word of God. Verse 6, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Flood. Remember Noah's Ark? It's, it's, it's a wonderful boat. We see the rainbow, but much judgment. Verse 7, but by the same word, that is, did that happen? Yes. Will it continue? By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. They're being stored. It's kept until that day. When's that day? We don't know that hour of that day. But they're being kept for that day of judgment on the ungodly. Verse 8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We talked about this last week. Great hope. We're technically only two days out from uh, what Jesus has predicted. If, if, If a thousand years are one day and so forth. So take great comfort. Comfort. Maybe He'll come back tomorrow. That could be a thousand. That could be... Literally tomorrow or today. We don't know when. Um, Wonderful encouragement. I'm so thankful God put this in the Scriptures to give us encouragement. Um, He's not slow to fulfill His promise. What's His promise? His words to us. He's not slow through that. Let me finish. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth And the works that are done on it will be exposed. You have works that are going to be exposed on that day. Works of ungodliness, works of unrighteousness. And when they're exposed, what is our hope? If our hope is not in Jesus Christ, they will be exposed and we will be judged to live forever in torment. For those that have repented, that have come to Christ, glory, hopefulness, eternity. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, uh, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, could you put the word Word in there, according to His Word, according to His covenant, according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, where Christ reigns. And we reign in Him, in Christ. Glorious truths of God, according to His promise, we wait. So, let me give three applications as we close here and close out Mark uh, at least six, this section, and we'll look at one more section next week. Number one, remember 
that Jesus and His words in Scripture are the same thing. Um, some of you have your Bible in red. Some of the words of Jesus are in red. That's I understand to see where He was speaking. You could paint the whole thing red. It's, it's His words. So we don't want to be confused. They're His words. What Scripture says, God says. Jesus is fully God. So what Scripture says, Jesus says. Um, I was listening to one pastor this last week. I won't say his name, but he opened his message by saying, we want to hear a word from the Lord today. You know, if you've ever heard that, we want to hear a word from the Lord. He said, so we're going to open up our Bible and read the word of the Lord. And uh, it's a great, great way to start for those that we want to hear. Lord, what's your word? We have it right here. So remember, Jesus and his words in Scripture are the same thing. Number two, we already talked about this. God's promises are sure. They're sure. All that God says He will do, He will do. Even if the very heavens and earth tumble around us, His Word will remain. In fact, His words it's, it has remained, isn't it? I mean, just look down at your lap. If you have a Bible open, you're seeing the fulfillment of what Jesus says. My words will not pass away. They're right before you. They've not gone anywhere. Though there's been danger, though they've tried to burn them, all sorts of things, burn the people trying to make them, it's lasted. And we've got it everywhere. We have it here. We have it on our phones. You can listen to it. It's everywhere. Take heart. His word will not pass away. And yet we can also wait in hope that the Lord will gather His elect. He will save those who repent and believe in the name of Jesus. And He will come again. So God's promises are sure. And then number three is really just an exhortation to each one of us to be people of this Word. Be people of the Word. May we be a church that is known for... Man, they, they sure quote a lot of Scripture. They sure read that book a lot. They, they always seem to be looking at that. May that characterize us as a church. It's wonderful to hear people going through the Word of God throughout the year we have helps in the back for that. If you're off track, just start today. There's kind of even a plan there for you. And be people of the Word. A couple things as we think about how are we to be people of the Word. One is just to not be like that faithless generation and trust the Lord. To believe what His Word says. And we pray, Lord, strengthen me to believe. When I read this passage, Lord, it says you're coming in clouds with great power and glory. Do I believe that that's what's going to happen? He's going to come with power and glory. And how does that change your life when you believe what God says He's going to surely do? Number two is just a daily intake of the life-giving water of the Word. I think if somebody came to you with a bottle of vitamin water that didn't cause like bad side effects, energy drinks that didn't cause any side effects and said, this thing is going to energize your day. You're going to not get drowsy at about 1.30 in the afternoon. You're going to work all the way. You can get all the way through it. Just, just take a drink of this each day. You go, sure, I'll do that. People, we have His Word. We have this living water right before us. May God's Spirit give us a thirst for His Word and for what it reveals to us. May we daily intake this water let me encourage you also, 
take, grab somebody and study this word with them. Grab a neighbor. Grab your next door neighbor you've been praying for and say, do you want to study Scripture together? You might find they say, sure. You might be surprised. Just try it. I don't know what God would do. Pray about it. Study it with someone else. Maybe grab someone from church. Study the Word. Parents, with your kids, study the Word of God with them. Open up the Word. May our families, may we be opening this again, not just on Sunday, open it throughout the week. And I know we get off track. I know we, we say, all right, this week's going to be different. Uh, we just say, Lord, help me. I'm sometimes a failing husband, a failing father. Lord, help me to do this and trust Him and just open up. Even if you go, man, kids, I don't, it says this generation and they're not going to, I don't even know, I don't understand. It. Just read it, read His Word. Say, I'm not sure, let's work on that or we'll look it up. Keep reading through His Word and then just take heart to be people of the Word that God's promises will last because He lasts. We know Christ by His Spirit working to call us to Him, to repent of sin, put our trust and faith in Him. I hope you all have done that and are continuing to do that daily. And may we be people of His Word, learning from Him, looking forward certainly to the day of His coming with joy. May we look at it with joy. Let's pray together. What a wonderful thing right now, Lord, to have studied Your Word, to have seen (laughs) its connections. Old Testament, Psalm 102, New Testament, we're diving into 2 Peter and other places, Revelation 21, Thessalonians, Lord, all over the place. You've given us what we need. Your Scripture is sufficient for what we need to know You, to know Your Son, Jesus, to know salvation, to know hope. It may not tell us every question we have, but it tells us who we're asking, and we're asking of the great Lord, creator of all things. So Lord, thank you. In the midst of trying to figure out how, I pray we would trust in the who, in you, deeply. May we be students of your word. Grow us as a church, Lord. Those that have been in your word for years, thank you, Lord for their faithfulness and how your word daily, maybe we don't even see it, it's just daily penetrating. I pray each household represented here would be students of your word, not content with what Pastor Mike preached on Sunday, but Lord, diving in daily to see what you have to say, your certain sure promises that offer life-giving promises in Jesus Christ. May you work in us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.